Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Philippians. We'll take a break from our John study uh, for today as we are looking at behind the manger scene. Perhaps you look at a television program and you have gone to the uh, internet uh, site for that program and you have seen videos called Behind the Scenes, where they will take you back and behind the scenes of the episode and you'll hear the actors talking about what happened and why things happened the way they did, to just kind of help you get an understanding of what you're seeing uh, up front. Same thing about when there's a play on the platform, a stage, and behind the scenes, there's a lot of things going on that you don't realize go together to make up what you actually do see. Well, today we're going to take that thought and go behind the manger scene. We're going to go behind that babe in the manger, in that stable, and we're going to see all that went into bringing about that day, the incarnation of God the Son. Now as we look behind the manger scenes, we're not going to go to the shepherds. We're not going to go to the wise men. We're not going to even go to look at Joseph and Mary. But we're going to go back from eternity past. We're going to see the great love that the Lord Jesus had that He was willing to come and take on humanity. Now the main truth that we will see today is this. Since the heart of Christmas is Jesus' self-giving, sacrificial love, we should also have this sacrificial love toward others. You see, the heart of Christmas is not getting presents. It's not Santa Claus. It's not Christmas trees. The heart of Christmas is the self-giving, sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus that He was willing to come and become one of us and take our place on that cross. And because the very essence and heart of Christmas is the self-giving, sacrificial love of our Lord, you and I should also express this self-giving, sacrificial love toward others as we encounter them every day. Now we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8 this morning. And let me ask you to stand in respect for God's Word. As I begin reading in verse 5, Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You may be seated. Now today we're going to take a close look at this self-giving, sacrificial love that our Lord Jesus had toward us. 
And first we're going to look at the essence of this self-giving love. Then we're going to look at the expression, how he expressed this self-giving sacrificial love. And thirdly, we will look at the exclamation, the shouting of this sacrificial self-giving love. First, the essence of this self-giving sacrificial love found in verses 5 and 6. For I have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, that although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. The first thing we need to see as we understand the self-giving sacrificial love of Jesus is to realize that from eternity past, He is God. Paul is saying, before you can understand how much Jesus gave, you need to understand how high He was exalted. you got to understand what He had from eternity past that He gave up to take on humanity. And so Paul says that He existed although He was in the form of God. Now, what does that mean, form of God? Well, you and I think of form as shape, right? Like if you're going to build a building and you build a form to pour the concrete in, you're right? So that's a shape. That's not what it means in the, in the Greek at all. Rather than that, it means someone's essential essence. It means their inward being. It's not concerned with outward appearance, but with the inward reality. You are in form a human being. That is your essential nature. That is your essential essence. Jesus was in His essential essence, God Himself. Paul is saying Jesus existed from eternity past as God. Totally equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Fully God, as God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Paul says, and his stress is, the exalted and glorified position of the Lord Jesus. For he says, although, although he existed as very God of very God that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. The second aspect of the essence of his self-giving love is that he knew equality with God is giving, not grasping. You see, God is a giving God. And being fully God, Jesus understood that to be God is to give, not to take. It's to give, not to grasp. And to be God meant that He was willing to give up and become man. He didn't give up His deity. He didn't give up being God. But as we'll see in a moment, He indeed gave up some very important things. But you see, God's very nature is to give. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, right? That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have life eternal. Jesus himself also, you know, said he came to give his life a ransom for many, right? 
And even when God tells us to give to Him, what does He promise He'll do? Multiply back. Multiply back. God's a giving God. He is, his, and His whole creation is built on the principle of giving. Right? What does the sun give? It gives warmth. It gives energy. The clouds give rain. Right? Everything gives. The trees give oxygen that we might breathe. Everything in creation is built on the principle of giving. And so God being a giving God Himself built that very fabric into the universe. And He says, although He existed from eternity as exalted sovereign God, He was willing to give and become a man. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that through His poverty we might become rich. And so the very essence of this sacrificial love is His willingness to give of Himself, to sacrifice Himself. Though He was God, He was willing to come down to earth. Now, next let's look at the expression of His self-giving love. How did Jesus express His self-giving love? Well, He says over in verse 6 and 7 that He emptied Himself. Although He existed in the existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but Emptied Himself. That was His sacrificial self-giving love in its expression. He emptied Himself. Well, preacher, what does that mean? He emptied Himself. Well, it does not mean He emptied Himself of His deity. He did not cease to be God. But what He did do was He emptied Himself of some of His divine privileges. He emptied himself of some of his divine prerogatives, theologians like to say. And you're saying to me, well, preacher, what does that mean? Right? Well, I'm going to tell you what that means. I'm going to give you several things that he emptied himself of. One, he emptied himself of the glory that he experienced with the Father from eternity past. The glory of God has been defined as the sum total of all of his attributes. His glory is the sum total of His righteousness, of His holiness, of His love, of His justice. All of His attributes, put them together, that's called His glory. Now generally in Scripture, His glory is seen as a bright light, brighter than the sun. You remember when the angels came to the shepherds, and what does the Scripture say? And lo, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very afraid. It was this brightness of light. Well, Jesus existed with God from eternity as this glorious one. But when He took on humanity, He gave up that expression of glory. Now, it did shine through one time. You remember when that was? On the Mount of Transfiguration. When it said that His his garments were so bright, 
brighter than any launderer could make them. And they saw for a moment a glimpse of the inward glory that his flesh was concealing. You see, no man can see God and live. If Jesus, if he didn't give up that expression of glory, everybody who saw him would die. I mean, the glory of God is so great. In the bodies we are in today, the glory of God would suck the life right out of us. Even in Scripture, sometimes when they are seeing a hint of His glory, they faint. Daniel fainted when, when, when he saw a hint of the glory. I mean, but if you were to see, and that's why God says, no man shall see my face and live. It's too glorious. But Jesus willingly gave up this glory. He emptied Himself of the expression of it while He walked upon earth. He says that over in John 17, when He was praying in Gethsemane, before His crucifixion, look what He says. He says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Again, from eternity past, Jesus experienced and expressed the full glory of God. But when he emptied himself, he lay aside that glory to become man. Secondly, What did he empty himself of? He emptied himself of riches beyond imagination. You remember Paul said, though he was rich. Well, what do you mean he's rich? Well, he owns everything in the world. Everything in the universe belongs to him. You say, well, I thought men owned it. Do you really think that? He controls and owns everything. All the billions and billions and trillions and trillions and Zillions of dollars and all the pounds of gold and silver, they belong to him. He's just loaning them out to people. They are his. All the untold riches of the universe are his. But yet he gave those up and took on humanity. He gave up all the riches. In fact, he became homeless. Now, it would be like you suddenly to Mars saying, okay, God says, I want you to go serve me, and I want you to go to the interior of Africa as a missionary. And I want you to give up everything you have. You give your house over. Give it up. You, all your bank accounts, you empty them and give it away. All of your pension, your retirement account, you empty it. And give it away. All of your portfolio, your stocks, your bonds, your mutual funds, you liquidate them and get rid of it. And the only thing you have is the clothes on your back. And you go and serve me and trust me totally. That'd be kind of tough to do. I don't think we'd do it. But that's what Jesus did. For 33 years, he gave up all those riches. He was homeless as an adult. He had to borrow a house to live in. He had to borrow a boat to go out and preach from. He had to borrow a donkey to ride into Jerusalem in. He had to borrow a room to have the Lord's Supper. That last supper. He didn't even have a house. He could have said, come over guys. He had to borrow that place. He had, to live, he had to be buried in a borrowed tomb. He who had untold wealth emptied himself of all of that wealth and became a man. 
Thirdly, he emptied himself of doing his own will. Now, Jesus is the only person who's ever lived in all of human history that had a right to do his will. As Lord God of the universe, he had the perfect, legitimate right to do whatever he wills to do. But he gave that up. He emptied himself of that. As he tells us over in John 5, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Why? Because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now, I'm going to let you in on a secret. I like to do what I want to do. I like to do my will. I don't like being told what to do. Never have liked it. I don't think I ever will like it. That's why I hated school so much, because I didn't like teachers telling me what to do. I just don't like it. But Jesus, who had a right to do his will, emptied himself of it and said, No, I will only do what the Father tells me to do. That's the self-giving love, sacrificial love of Jesus. And then, fourthly, he emptied himself of the divine honor and esteem that he had throughout eternity as the angels would fall down before him and continually worship and praise him and cover their faces in his glory and majesty. He gave all that up to take on humanity and to be spit on and to have his beard pulled out and to be beaten by men and tortured by men and called all sort of names and said he was demonized and he was an illegitimate child. He gave all the glory and honor up and took on the filth and the insults of men. Why? Because he was willing to give for us. Not only did he empty himself, but he says, secondly, he expressed his self-giving love in that he became in reality a bond servant. Verse 7 but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Here we go, same word form. He became in reality, in essence, a bondservant. Not just acted like one, but in his, in his essential essence, he became a bondservant. Now there were five different Greek words for servants, or for slaves. They all represented a different level, a different strata. Kind of like rungs of a ladder. The highest form of a slave was the house slave. The one who was the steward, who controlled the affairs of the house. You remember Joseph in Potiphar's house? This is the position he had. He was to control the affairs of the house and he managed the other servants around. The lowest on the pole was the bond servant, the doulos. The doulos did not own anything of his own. Even the clothes on his back were not his, but his master's. He did not have a will of his own. He had to do what the master told him to do. He couldn't say, I'm tired, I think I'm going to take a nap, unless the master said he could take a nap. He couldn't eat until the master told him to eat, and he had to eat what the master put before him. 
He had absolutely the lowest position in the whole system of slaves. And when Jesus took on humanity and became a bond servant, he didn't become the house slave. He became a bond slave. The lowest of the lowest. He came to serve. Look at what he says over in Luke 22. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And then again in Matthew 20. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Jesus, the King of the universe, didn't come for us to serve Him, but to serve us. And in reality, He serves us today. Even when He calls you to do something in service of Him, He's the one that serves through you to accomplish it. He's the one that gives you the grace you need to accomplish it, so He is serving you even as you seek to serve Him. And so, He not only emptied Himself, but He became in reality a bond servant. Not only that, but He took on humanity. He took on humanity. He became man. Made in the likeness of men. And that means He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't just some appearance. He was really a Man in its essential sense. He became, took on humanity. Now you and I have a hard time grasping the significance of this because we think it's pretty great to be a human, right? We, compared to everything we know, humans, uh, that's the top of the line, right? But you got to take it when you're God and you humble yourself to take on humanity, what you're doing. I've used it before, and it's about the best way I know how to describe it. It would be like you being willing to become a maggot. That's right. And even that's not even close to the difference between God and man. He who had never known any want through eternity, who had never known any weariness through eternity, suddenly took on humanity and knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to be discouraged. He knew what it was to experience being disheartened. He took on the pains of humanity. Oh, what self-giving, self-sacrificial love that He had. He didn't cease to be man. Excuse me, He didn't cease to be God. He was all God and all man. Two natures, one person. The God-man. Not only did He express His self-giving love in that He became in likeness of humanity, but also He looked just like an ordinary man. Now let's face it. If you were God, and you were going to go to the low position of becoming a human being, wouldn't you at least like to look different so people would know, hey, there's something different about this guy. 
You know, either he's a foot taller than everybody else, or man, he is so strikingly handsome. Man, this it, it's some, or he had a halo, or somehow, if I'm going to become man, I want him to know I'm different. Not so with Jesus. That although he was God, man, you would never know it from walk, seeing him walk down the street in Jerusalem. He didn't have his halo on his head that some pictures represent. He didn't have this aura about him. He looked just like anybody else and you would never be able to pick him out of a crowd as being God-man from just looking at him. In fact, the scripture indicates that he was not even an attractive man. Now, if you could choose to look any way you could look, would you choose? No, you'd want to look like a movie star. You would want to be good looking, right? I mean, how much trouble do we go to to try to make ourselves look better, right? We go to the gym, we work out, we try to get buffed up. We use all kind of products, hair products, all these facial products, trying to what enhance our looks. We want to look better. Jesus, in His self-giving love, came as a man that you would not look at twice. If he were walking down the road, you wouldn't turn and take a second look. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible tells me so. Look in Isaiah 53. Talking about Jesus. He has no stately form or majesty. Oh, you wouldn't say, man, that, that man walks like a king. No. You wouldn't look at him as walking down the street. That we should look at him nor appearance that we should be attracted to Him. You know what an attractive person is? Someone that looks great and you just kind of like being around them. You're attracted to them. That's why they're called attractive. Or you just kind of find yourself wanting to be around them. Nothing about Jesus from His looks would make you want to be around Him. Can you imagine that? Nothing. Nothing. Because God's determination was if you wanted to be around Jesus, it was because of who He was, not because of what He looked like. Nobody was going to look at Him outwardly and say, man, I like the way that guy looks. I want to be around Him. I want to be associated with Him. Because we like to be around good-looking people because it makes us feel better about ourselves usually, right? But nobody would look at Jesus and think that. Not anybody. So in His self-giving, self-sacrificial love, He denied Himself even the privilege of being handsome or attractive at all. Now that's the expressions of His self-giving love. Now let's look at the exclamation, the shouting. Of his self-giving love. And he shouted it when he became obedient to death. As we read in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That was the shouting of his self-giving love. That he was willing to die. That's the ultimate sacrifice. To give your life and die. For someone else. 
Now, don't think it was automatic. Don't think, well, he was God, so, you know, he knew he was going to die and it wasn't hard. No. Don't forget he was all man as well as all God. And as all man, he experienced every bit of the same trepidation and same fears and concerns that you and I would have if we were awaiting our execution the next day. In fact, look what the writer of Hebrews says. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, meaning bring his body back from the resurrection. And he was heard because of his piety. Now, how long has it been since you were so burdened about something that you prayed with loud crying and tears? That was the burden that he bore. That was the weight that he was feeling that was going to come upon him when he gave himself for us. It wasn't automatic. It was hard. Nor was it easy for him to do so. As he was anticipating his crucifixion in John 12, look at what he says. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour. Save me from the crucifixion. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus, oh, as he contemplated the cross and and what it was going to be like to become sin, that he had never known he would become and and to experience the wrath of Almighty God over our sins. In fact, it says in the Scriptures that he was so, so grieved, it says grieved to the point of death, that he was in such stress that the capillaries in his skin broke, and, and it was like he was sweating blood because of the intense stress and pressure that he was anticipating as he was anticipating The cross. That's the self-giving, sacrificial love of Jesus seen at Christmas. And not only does He shout it in His willingness to to die, but to die on the cross. Paul says, By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The cross was the most inhumane, cruel way to kill somebody, execute somebody in ancient times. In fact, it was so bad that the Roman historian, Cyril, Cyril said, most cruel of punishments, Cicero, most cruel of punishments. He went on to say, let the very name of the cross be forever removed from the Roman citizen's mind, even from his thoughts, his eyes, or his ears. It was so inhumane that a Roman citizen could not be crucified. But Jesus was willing to give and be crucified on a cross. It was also an accursed death. He became a curse for us. Paul says 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. He was willing to take the curse upon Himself that we deserved because we are the ones who sinned. But He took that upon Himself as He hung on that cross. Peter says it this way, And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His stripes we are healed. That is the self-giving, sacrificial love of Jesus shouting to us. The exclamation of it. That He was willing to die and die on a cross to save us from the eternal wrath of a holy God that we deserved. Christmas is all about the self-giving, sacrificial love of Jesus. That sweet little baby in the manger is not really what it's about. It's about holy God, eternal God, being willing to give of Himself and take on humanity that He might die for us. Now since the heart of Christmas is this self-giving, self-sacrificial love, we who desire to be like our Lord should also express a self-giving, sacrificial love to others. Now listen, you've been tuning me out, tune me back in. Now listen, I'm about to finish. This week, you are going to have an opportunity to express a self-giving, sacrificial love in some situation. Don't know what it's going to be, but you will be given that opportunity. When that happens, catch yourself and say, Okay, Lord Jesus, I want to be like you. Give me the grace to be giving and sacrificial in my love in this situation like you were on Christmas morning and throughout your life. Okay? It's going to come. And when it comes, it's going to hit you in the face because your first reaction is going to be... Nope. Resent it. But wait. Remember his self-given love. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, this is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what, race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications on ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org dot org.